When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to your Monday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, and we are running through the companion piece to two pods we did last week. We are running through the 10 most dangerous, I think is the word we're going to use, opponents for Ohio State in the 2023 regular season. We did the 10 most important Buckeyes last week. We did 10 through 6, and then we did 5 through 1. And this is just going to be me with the list uh, that I put some time into to compile. It's a mix of players and coaches. And here's the reference point for this. When I think of Ohio State's regular season losses, most of the time, and I think you can do it too, most of the time you can point to somebody. You can find the coach. You can find the player that caused it. Not all by himself, but man, you sure can give a lot of credit to a particular person. So this is what guided my list this year of the 10 most dangerous opponents. So before we go forward, let's go back and let's look at the last 10 regular season losses for Ohio State football in normal times, which means we don't count 2011 because there's no point in doing that. Doesn't mean it's not in the history books, but that's not what we're doing here. 2011, they're, they're six and six in the regular season, lose the bowl game. We know what happened that year, right? Everybody got suspended. Jim Trestle got fired. So if you take out 2011, this is how good they've been in the regular season. You have to go back to 2010 to get the 10th loss. There's one in 22. This is regular season only. So we're not talking Georgia last year. We're not talking Clemson. We're not talking Alabama in the title game. Because we're doing this for the regular season now. One in 22, two in 21. None in 20, none in 19, one in 18, two in 17, one in 16, one in 15, one in 14, none in 13, none in 12. We're not doing 11, so we go back to 10. And in nine of those 10 losses for Ohio State, I can point to somebody. One or two games, there's multiple somebodies, but it's clear, wow, this guy did something to the Buckeyes. Loss number 10, 10, uh, 13 years ago, 2010, Ohio State's number one in the country. They go to Wisconsin. They lose at Wisconsin because David Gilreath returns the opening kickoff for a touchdown. And the stadium, Camp Randall, almost shakes off its foundation. And he was a really good special teams player. So if you had gone into that game and said, okay, well, you know, John Clay ran for a bunch of yards. And they had James White who went on to NFL careers, like a third down back. Scott Tolzien was the quarterback, whatever. Like, you know, Bielema does his thing. But, like, what's really going on there? You might have zeroed in on special teams and been like, well, you got to kick away from this guy. He takes the opening kickoff back. It sets the entire tone for a Wisconsin win. So I can point to that guy and feel pretty confident. Hey, 
a guy like that should have been on the list that we're doing right now. If we were doing this for 2010, I would have had him on the list. We would have. I think we would have. 2014, the Virginia Tech loss, it's Bud Foster, the defensive coordinator, who threw that bare defense at Ohio State. It's all the Ohio State coaches talked about afterward. It's a different front. It's an, it's a, it's an odd front look that confuses the pass protection. And they just got after, they plugged holes. They got after JT Barrett all day. The offense did nothing because Bud Foster, this really established veteran, smart defensive coordinator for, for Virginia Tech, threw a look at Ohio State that the Buckeyes weren't expecting. And it messed up their blocking schemes the entire day. So you look at what else Virginia Tech did that day. It starts with Bud Foster. He would have been on the list. Hey, let's run through decent teams. Ohio State's playing in 2014. Man, this is a veteran defensive coordinator who might have something for him. So Bud Foster, that kind of guy. 2015, the Michigan State loss. There's nobody from that because Ohio State beat itself that night. Ohio State's one of the four best teams in the country. I think you could certainly argue they're the best team in the country. All the talent back as defending champs, and they just can't get out of their own way. They mess up the quarterback situation all year, which lingers into the Michigan State loss. It's rainy. Honestly, if we're doing stuff for that game, we probably have Mother Nature on the list because it just was a little wet, and they called a terrible game. They executed a terrible game. Yeah, Michigan State had a good defense that year. D'Antonio's a thorn in Ohio State's side. Maybe after what Ohio State did against Michigan State in the 2013 Big Ten title game, and you're like, man, D'Antonio. D'Antonio knows the Buckeyes. He's a former Ohio State defensive coordinator. Maybe I could put D'Antonio on this list, but really that was more about Ohio State losing. That was Ohio State did it to itself. So I don't have – it's the only game of the 10, of the last 10 regular season losses, where I can't point to someone specifically. But if you want to argue D'Antonio, I'll accept it. 2016, Penn State. They lose at Penn State, and I'm going to give this one to James Franklin. He's the head coach who was in trouble, very specifically remember, like thinking, hey, maybe this is a like the last gasp of James Franklin. He might get fired. Like if Ohio State comes in and blows Penn State out, he might be done here. And instead, Penn State rises up. Yes, Saquon Barkley, who's in the handful of most talented opponents I've ever seen Ohio State play. He's on that team. He runs 12 times for 99 yards in that game, but he doesn't dominate the game. It's a blocked kick at the end, a blocked field goal try. Penn State runs it back, but it's like it's the home crowd at Penn State. It's Penn State finding something in itself, rising up and giving Ohio State a heck of a game. And I'm going to give that to James Franklin. And I think you could have looked at, for instance, how tough Penn State played Ohio State in 2014 in Happy Valley. It's a double overtime game when Ohio State goes on to win the national championship. And it's like, listen, man, James Franklin, and we always said this, James Franklin isn't scared of Ohio State. He's only beat, that's the only time he's beaten them, but he's not scared. They'll hang in. So I would point to James Franklin. I think that's real. I think for all the things James Franklin is not, I think he has been a guy who's not afraid to take his best shot against Ohio State. 2017, Oklahoma, it's Baker Mayfield. It's like, oh, what about the guy who's going to win the Heisman is going to come in here and drop 386 yards and three touchdowns on Ohio State and then plant a flag in the turf? You could see that coming. That was not a shock. So I think like that, how often do we see that level of quarterback against Ohio State? We would have had Baker Mayfield on a list like this. 2017, Iowa, three people I'd throw in there. One is Josh Jackson. The cornerback, who then after that season was a second-round pick by the Green Bay Packers, three picks in that game, all over JT Barrett, ruined his day. Just a super-skilled corner. 
he was not he had not been a full-time starter the year before so like going into the season i don't we would not have been here and been like oh josh jackson watch out for that guy but then once he does it it's clearly it's a dude and then the people you could have identified are the tight ends tj hawkinson and noah fant both nfl tight ends both big time draft pick nfl tight ends Combined for four touchdown catches, nine catches for 125 for Iowa in that game. Iowa loves tight ends, and they were good. And the Ohio State linebackers had problems that year and couldn't cover them. We could have sniffed that out. So that's a multiple somebodies. The tight ends we would have seen coming. Maybe Josh Jackson we wouldn't have. But in retrospect, you go back and you point very specifically to individual people. 2018, could have seen it. It's Rondale Moore. Purdue receiver, one-time Ohio State recruiting target, more talented typically than the skill guys at a place like Purdue, fast, knows how to get open, smart, good hands, and just shreds a holy, in a bad way, Ohio State defense. Holes all over that defense. They can't tackle, and he just destroys them. Now, David Blau, the quarterback, is part of it. We would not have identified David Blau before that game, but David Blau goes on to be an NFL quarterback. He's made a career as a backup in the NFL, which is better than a lot of guys that are on Ohio State's schedule. But Rondale Moore, we would have seen coming. Nobody in 19, nobody in 20, because Ohio State didn't lose in those regular seasons. 21, Oregon, it's Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator who had been the offensive coordinator at Penn State when Penn State beat Ohio State. I said, James Franklin, you could have done some Joe Moorhead stuff back then. We know this guy's good. Now head coach in the MAC. We know this guy is a skilled offensive coordinator who knows Ohio State. We might have said going into Oregon, Kayvon Thibodeau, who was viewed as one of the best edge rushers in the nation and goes on to be a top 10 pick, number five pick in the NFL draft for the New York Giants. But he's hurt, doesn't even play that game. So we would have had Thibodeau on our list, and then he wouldn't have played, and somehow it didn't matter. But Moorhead we would have talked about, too. This is a guy who knows the Buckeyes and is good at what he does. So coordinators, there are coordinators on the list to come for 2023. And Joe Moorhead's a reminder of why that's the case. 2021, Michigan, Zayden Hutchinson. Number two pick in the draft, disruptive off the edge. Yes, there are other David Ojabo, Dax Hill, other problematic defensive players, but it is a Bosa young type edge rusher that you don't often see in the Big Ten, not with Ohio State. And Aiden Hutchinson blew him up. A lot of other credit to go around, but we start with that. And again, Aiden Hutchinson was good the year before. He was not spectacular. I guess we would have had him on our list. We wouldn't have known he was going to be that good by the end of the year. But that's the kind of guy we're talking about. And then 22 Michigan, I'm going Jim Harbaugh. And you'll find Jim Harbaugh on the list to come. And that is a head coach who just has his guys ready for that moment. You've got to be ready for the moment against Ohio State. And how many times, that's why I have James Franklin on this list. How many times do we see head coaches don't have their guys ready for the moment against the Buckeyes? If the Buckeyes show weakness, you also still have to rise up to meet them. And Jim Harbaugh, the last two years, has clearly done that at Michigan. So we can point to other things last year with Michigan. And we'll, I'm not going to say them all right now because we a lot of the things that Michigan had last year are back this year. But when I think of 22, I think of intangibles. I think of adjusting your game plan. And to me, that was a head coach game. And Jim Harbaugh got it done. So we go look again. The last 10 years not the last 10 years, the last 10 losses over the last 13 years in the regular season for Ohio State, Jim Harbaugh, Aiden Hutchinson, Joe Moorhead, Rondale Moore, Josh Jackson, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson all together. Baker Mayfield, James Franklin, 
Ohio State doing it to itself, Bud Foster, David Gilreath. That's what we're talking about. So who are the dangerous people like that looking ahead to 2023 for Ohio State? We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. We're going to do our top 10 of this. And I'm going to start with a quarterback. And there are not that many quarterbacks on Ohio State's schedule that I think are super scary. I will tell you that I have one, two, three, four quarterbacks on this list at 10 most dangerous opponents. Let's talk about some of the ones we don't. I don't have Talia Tonga-Vailoa for Maryland on this. Ohio State gets Maryland early in the year, fifth game of the year. Maryland lost all its receivers. Maryland's receiving core last year was really good. They lost, I think, their top four receivers. And Talia, by this point, is a solid quarterback, but I think we know what he is, and I think Ohio State knows what he is. And I think we've established that he's a guy who raises the floor of Maryland football to make them a a winning team, right? You can go six and six, you can go seven and five, you can go eight and four with him. Is he going to get you over the top against Ohio State? Probably not. He's not on my list. He's not dangerous. He's such a known quantity by now, so I don't have him there. I don't have Hudson Card, the Texas transfer, who's going to be the Purdue quarterback. I don't have Tanner Mordecai, the Wisconsin quarterback, although we're going to touch on Wisconsin's offense in another way. I don't have Gavin Wimsat, the, the big-time recruit, who's the Rutgers quarterback. And it's just, it's not a scary bunch in a lot of ways. So I'm starting here. I am starting number 10 with the quarterback, and it's Austin Reed of Western Kentucky. Ohio State plays Western Kentucky in week three. And I'm pairing Austin Reed with his number one receiver, Malachi Corley. And this is a pairing that Ohio State doesn't see that often. Austin Reed is 23 years old. He's 20 months older than C.J. Stroud. He is like two and a half years older than Kyle McCord. He's in his sixth year of college football. He's on his third school. He started off at Southern Illinois. He went to West Florida, which was a Division II school. And now he's at Western Kentucky because Western Kentucky is the place right now where people chuck it around. Bailey Zappi, drafted by the Patriots a couple years ago, came out of Western Kentucky. Austin Reed took over for Bailey Zappi at quarterback there. Austin Reed was the starting quarterback last year. A lot of teams wanted him to get in the portal and come to their schools. He could be playing at a high profile, higher profile school than Western Kentucky this year. He stayed. And the other thing is Ben Arbuckle was the offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky last year. He was a guy that a lot of big time programs were looking at to potentially hire him to run their offense. He went to Washington State. And now the new offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky is a, girl, a guy named Drew Hollingshead. And he is from the Mike Leach air raid system. So he was with Mike, the late great Mike Leach at Mississippi State the last three years. And he was with Leach at Washington State before that. So he's a Leach disciple. They chuck it around. This is Western Kentucky's found a niche. Credit to them. And they're going to chuck it around. Last year, Austin Reed was second in the nation in passing yards per game. He was tied for second. In touchdowns, passing touchdowns per game, he threw for 339 yards per game, passing touchdowns. Caleb Williams had 42 for USC. CJ Stroud had 41 for Ohio State. Austin Reed had 40. So they're going to throw it all over the place. And that does that mean Western Kentucky is going to beat Ohio State? No, but be ready. Malachi Corley 
the leading receiver for Washington, Kentucky a year ago, is back. He had 101 receptions for 1,293 yards last year. Averaged 92.4 receiving yards per game. That was 13th in the nation. Marvin Harrison Jr. was 8th in the nation, just as a comparison. He's about 5'11", has some size to him. Tackle breaker. You look at his highlights. He even talked about it. I was reading his recruiting profile coming out of high school, Malachi Corley. And he talked about breaking tackles. So he's got some speed, can be a tackle breaker. you got a guy who can chuck it and a guy who can catch it and run it. Be on alert. And it's actually, I think, going to be a really good challenge for the Ohio State secondary in week three. Indiana in week one's not going to do it. Youngstown State in week two is not going to do it. Week four is Sam Hartman in Notre Dame, the Wake Forest transfer quarterback. We're going to get the Sam Hartman higher on this list. Austin Reed is a great way for Ohio State to prep for Sam Hartman. They're going to have to play some pass defense. So I actually think it's going to work out very well for the Buckeyes, but they got to be ready. Now, is Western Kentucky going to stop Ohio State? No. But I think Western Kentucky can put up some points. So quarterback and leading receiver back, lose the offensive coordinator, but bring in a guy. I mean, I would imagine you're on the Mike Leach tree. We're going to be talking about Drew Holling's head is going to be hired by somebody in the Power Five in a year or two. It's going to be like, oh, yeah, against Ohio State, they put up 411 passing yards or whatever. Like, just be ready for that. So they deserve to be on a list like this because – there's just there's not a ton as as much as we talked about earlier in the offseason that the level of quarterback play in the Big Ten should be better. It still is not the scariest thing on Ohio State's schedule. It's not. So be aware of that. Western Kentucky, something to keep in mind. All right. Number nine on my list is another quarterback, and it's Drew Aller at Penn State. We all know Drew Aller from Medina, Ohio, five-star recruit. Ohio State had their other dudes. They were they were after um, you know the whole Quinn Ewers and then Devin Brown thing. They get in on Drew Aller super duper late. Penn State's in on him early. He goes to Penn State. He backs up Sean Clifford last year. Sean Clifford miraculously somehow a fifth round draft pick in the NFL this past draft. But Drew Aller, you can see the arm talent. So just the ability to throw the football, to stand in at 6'5 and throw the football, better than anything Penn State's had in decades. Will it be ready? I don't know. It's game eight for Drew Aller will be the Ohio State game. It's a good spot in the schedule. And Aller and Penn State will be tested a little bit. They open with, with West Virginia. That's their opener. That's a real game. And then in September, they also play Illinois and Iowa last year. According to Football Outsiders, Illinois had the number three defense in the entire country. Iowa had the number one defense in the entire country. Now, Georgia would have something to say about that. That's just statistical. Illinois lost Devin Witherspoon. They lost some guys to the NFL draft. Uh, Jerzon Newton is back for Illinois, probably the best defensive lineman in the Big Ten. Ohio State doesn't have to pay him, play him or he'd be on this list. Uh, Illinois is still going to play a good defense. That's going to be a challenge for Drew Aller. Iowa, they lose Jack Campbell. They lose Lucas Van Ness. But they bring back Riley Moss in the secondary. That's a really good guy. They have some young guys in the secondary they like. Iowa's going to be pretty good at defense again because they always are. So Drew Aller's going to get to work it out a little bit before he gets to the Buckeyes. Nick Singleton at running back, he's not on this list. I, I didn't put multiple Penn State offensive players. They've brought in, you know, like multiple receivers that they have a Mac transfer. You know, they lost Parker Washington. If he was back, Parker Washington who I've always liked at Penn State, went to the NFL draft, I think went in the sixth round, maybe should have stayed at Penn State. But if they had him, he might be on my list. But for now, I'll let Aller represent the possibility 
of this Penn State offense. Coming to Columbus, but they have a chance to maybe do something. I would guess when we do the 2024 list, Drew Aller will be higher. If Drew Aller is, is anywhere near what we think he might be, he'll be higher when he's a second-year starter as a third-year player in 2024. For now, he's my number nine. Number eight, I'm going Jesse Minter, the Michigan defensive coordinator. He was first-year defensive coordinator last year, taking over for Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald in 2021 was probably one of the 10 most, was absolutely one of the 10 most important, dangerous opponents Ohio State faced because he came in for Don Brown after Don Brown was fired at Michigan. Mike McDonald came from the Baltimore Ravens, got the Michigan defense back in shape, was so good he got hired back by John Harbaugh with the Baltimore Ravens, was only at Michigan for a year. They hired Jesse Minter from Vanderbilt, When they had brought in Mike McDonald, they had also brought in Jesse Minter. He finished second in the interview process then, so they go right to him. He also had come through Baltimore. He's got training in that defense, so Jim Harbaugh is just taking stuff from his brother. Isn't it nice when your brother is an NFL coach? Jesse Minter interviewed with the Philadelphia Eagles to be their defensive coordinator, finished second there, and is back at Michigan. You look at Michigan's defense last year by Football Outsiders, number four in the nation. With Mike McDonald the year before in 2021, we're number 11. Now, under Don Brown in previous years, in 18 and 19, Michigan finished 10th and 12th in defense. But that whole thing was they would get to the Ohio State game with a highly ranked defense, and then Ryan Day would drop a bomb on them. So this is now a Michigan defense that knows how to hang with Ohio State. So if they had lost Jesse Minter, well, they had lost Mike McDonald, and they found out a way. But Jesse Minter was like right there waiting. I still think Michigan would play good defense this year if Jesse Minter wasn't around, but it is a bonus for Michigan that he's still there. And this, you know, I mean, you're that close to an NFL job. You clearly have the desire to get back to the NFL. It's probably his last year at Michigan. So you got to go beat him now if you're the Buckeyes. So I think Jesse Minter representing a Michigan defense that has good players, Junior Colson at linebacker, Will Johnson and some guys in the secondary, they're looking for an opposite corner, but their secondary should be pretty decent. Chris Jenkins up front, they have some edge rushers they like. Is there an Aiden Hutchinson there? Probably not. So I think it's more about the collective, just like it was last year with the Michigan defense. And so that goes to the coordinator. That goes to Jesse Minter. He's number eight on our list. Number seven is a collection. And this, again, is something I just want to make you guys aware of. I'm going with the young Notre Dame receivers. And this is something that Shahan Jeharaja on our College Football Survivor Show has been talking about a lot. Because Notre Dame traditionally has not had game-breaking receivers necessarily. Last year, and this this is the reference point that you guys really need to be aware of. Because last year, when Ohio State played Notre Dame, Notre Dame did not throw the ball to receivers. The only impact receiver in that game was Lorenzo Styles, who is now a cornerback at Ohio State. So that was the state of the Notre Dame receivers a year ago. Lorenzo Styles had that 50-yard reception on the first play of the game. Overall, Michigan, excuse me, Notre Dame last year against Ohio State only completed 10 passes against the Buckeyes the whole game in a game where they gave Ohio State basically everything Ohio State could handle. Six of them went to tight ends, five to Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end that we had on a list like this a year ago. We were going nuts in the preseason. Watch out for Michael Mayer. Wound up being a second-round draft pick in the NFL. He had five catches. Another tight end had one. A running back caught one, and their receivers only caught three passes. Two were by Lorenzo Styles. 
But you heard it on this podcast a couple weeks ago. Eric Hansen, who covers Notre Dame, was saying by this spring, Lorenzo Styles, again, Sonny's older brother, Sonny Styles over, older brother now from Columbus, now came back to Ohio State, was maybe only fifth or sixth on the depth chart at receiver for Notre Dame this spring because they have young guys coming up. They have three young guys that I think they are at the moment thinking about as their starters. One of them is a second-year guy named Tobias Merriweather. He was the number 121 overall recruit in the class of 22. And then you have Dion Colsey and Jaden Thomas, who those are probably the three guys. Colsey and Thomas are third-year players. Colsey was the number 102 overall player in the class of 2021. Thomas was the number 326 overall player in the class of 2021. But then they have three true freshmen that Marcus Freeman is getting it done on the recruiting trail. They also have a new receivers coach named Chancey, Chancey Stuckey. And I feel it seems like Notre Dame people think that their receiver development was not good the past several years. And so Stuckey is here to change that. So he's their second year receivers coach. He came from Baylor. And before that, he'd been in the pipeline at Clemson as a young coach. So he is here to reshape this receiver room. And they went out and they got three freshman receivers who were all in for the spring, who are national receiver type guys. Two from Texas, Baylor Connections, one from California. Braylon James out of Texas, the number 136 overall player in the class of 2022. No, class of 2023, current freshman class. Jaden Greathouse number 138 overall player in this class, and Rico Flores from California uh, ranked in the 200s in this class. Okay, so this is just a like really different Notre Dame offense than what Ohio State saw last year. Last year, it's Tyler Buckner, who now transferred to Alabama, throwing the tight ends. Notre Dame tried to slow the game down. They want to limit possessions, and they gave Ohio State Everything they could handle. Okay. Now, I don't think that's how Notre Dame with Sam Hartman, who's later on the list, is going to attack Ohio State this year. Between Merriweather, Colsey, and Thomas as second and third year guys who haven't played much, none of those three guys had a target. Nobody, none of the receivers that are going to matter against Ohio State were targeted at all last year. It's a complete revamp of the passing game. So we have to understand that what Notre Dame did offensively last year. And by the way, the offensive coordinator's gone. Tommy Reese is out the door. He went to Alabama too. So philosophically, Marcus Freeman wants to do what he wants to do. But it's really more about the influx, I think, of higher-end receiver talent and a veteran quarterback than it is losing the coordinator. They're just going to be more dangerous. And you just have to know this about these Notre Dame receivers. And will all three of the true freshmen be on the field being an issue for Ohio State? No. Could one of them, could the best of the group, the way Garrett Wilson was for Ohio State in 2019, could Great House or James or Flores be that? Absolutely. And they went out and got guys to do that. So again, 24, you know, that could be, um, Ohio State's not playing Notre Dame in 24, except maybe in the playoff, but they're on the way. So just know I have young Notre Dame receivers grouped at this spot on the list because we need to be aware of it. Number seven, the young Notre Dame receivers. It's a complete change from what Notre Dame was doing offensively 
a year ago. All right, number five, no, excuse me, number six on the list is J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. Last week, so we talk, We have talked a lot about Michigan on this podcast. Last week on the College Football Survivor Show, we also did, Shahan and I did our top five teams coming out of spring football. And as part of that, I interviewed Aaron McMahon of M Live on that podcast because I think Michigan is in contention to, to be viewed as the number one team in the country right now coming out of spring. And Aaron McMahon, we talked about Michigan for half an hour. If you're interested in that, I didn't want to drop that in here again. Because I don't think I don't want you guys to think like we're overwhelming you with Michigan content. That's a national college football show. Michigan's incredibly relevant in a national college football discussion right now. Playoff the last two years, what they might be this year. I think the best version of Michigan is still to come. But if you want to go listen to that, go find the College Football Survivor Show. There's a half an hour Michigan breakdown within that podcast about the top five teams coming out of spring. The idea we we Aaron and I talked about is this season for Michigan. Basically a referendum on J.J. McCarthy as a second-year starter, as a third-year player, as a former five-star recruit. And he said probably yes. He's the elevator. He's what takes Michigan to the next level. But does that mean he's the most important, most dangerous person on Michigan? I don't think so because there's other fundamental things that they do well. So he is not the highest Michigan person on that list, but – the idea that he, on this list, that he goes from game manager, takes some shots when they're there, to more of a primary part of the offense, that there's a Stetson Bennett leap for him. 21 for Georgia, Stetson Bennett, I think is more about managing the game. 22, Stetson Bennett saved them sometimes. Stetson Bennett saved Georgia against Missouri. Stetson Bennett saved Georgia late in the game against Ohio State. If they don't have a very good quarterback they can rely on late in the game, Ohio State wins that game. And a bunch of other reasons. But Stetson Bennett had to come back and lead a game-winning drive. So that J- can J.J. McCarthy be that? As Aaron noted, he throws two pick sixes against TCU in the semis last year. Otherwise, Michigan probably makes a national title game. So he has to be dangerous like he was taking the shots that were against Ohio State without making the back-breaking mistakes he made against TCU. Can he do that? Has the ability to do it. And Sharon Moore, I don't have him on this list. I think, again, I think the Michigan offense has been well-coached the past couple of years. Matt Weiss was the quarterback's coach and the co-coordinator a year ago. He got fired because of a weird thing about, like, allegations of breaking into computers. I don't know what it is. But Sharon Moore is the offensive line coach. Their offensive line has been great. And then he also is is like going to be sort of like the, the main play caller now. A year ago, as Aaron, Aaron explained it, Sharon Moore is the offensive line coach, called the plays on first and second down. And Matt Weiss, as the quarterback's coach, called him on third down and in the red zone. And now it's going to be more in Sharon Moore's hands. So, J.J. McCarthy, uh, the best, best, best high-end version of him. What does that look like? We're going to wind up talking a lot about J.J. McCarthy this year because of the villain idea against Ohio State, because he wanted to come to Ohio State, and just because he's Michigan's quarterback, and he's talented. He is. But I didn't have him. I don't think I needed to have him higher than this. So he is number six for me on this list, and it will not be the last time we talk about J.J. McCarthy on this podcast. All right. Those are five dangerous opponents down. Five more to go after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk with our top five most dangerous Ohio State opponents for the 2023 season. I'm getting this to you a little later on Monday than I planned. And sometimes, sometimes I think I'm, I tell you guys stuff like personal stuff that you don't care about, but 
you know, you guys know us by now. So I'm just a little off. I was out of town this weekend and I just want to share this, not as an excuse, but it's like, I just, I didn't get the pod stuff as early as I wanted to. And anyway, this is what happened. And you try not to let stuff affect you, but sometimes it does. So I'm at a vending machine over the weekend and I'm trying to get a 20 ounce bottle of Diet Coke. And I swipe my credit card and I hit the Diet Coke button and boom, 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 boom. Here comes a bottle of soda and it's regular Coke. So I'm disappointed. I wanted a Diet Coke. I can't drink a whole, I just can't drink regular Coke, right? So I don't know why I decide to do this, but I swipe my card again and I hit the same Diet Coke button. There's only one Diet Coke option. I can't hit another Diet Coke button. So I hit the same Diet Coke button, blah, 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 and out comes a lemonade. And the thing about it is lemonade is not even one of the eight options on the machine. There are eight different buttons. None of them are lemonade. But somehow I hit Diet Coke twice and I got regular Coke and lemonade and I can't stop thinking about it. It's $5. They were $2.50 each. $5. I can't drink them. I didn't get my Diet Coke. Sometimes when I really need my Diet Coke, I need my Diet Coke. And so here we are 48 hours later, and it's still bothering me, and it's affecting a podcast, and I apologize for that. Number five on our list is Chop Robinson of Penn State, and this is why. Chop Robinson is probably at the moment the best edge rusher that we know Ohio State's going to face. He compares a little bit, I think, to Arnold Abikady from Penn State, who was a second-round pick, I think, out of Penn State two years ago in the 2021 Ohio State-Penn State game that was a game into the fourth quarter. Abikady had five pressures in that game, so he got after the quarterback a little bit. And he was one of the most highly rated by PFF edge rushers in the country that year. That was that year where it felt like there were just edge guys all over the Big Ten, right? George Karloftis at Purdue, Boy Maffei at Minnesota, and Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo at Michigan, and Abikadi at Penn State was one of them. And he had a good game against Ohio State. Last year, so he's gone. Last year, Chop Robinson transfers from Maryland to Penn State, and he has a good year. By PFF standards, he is the highest rated edge rusher in the nation. His overall defensive grade... 90.6 is the highest in the nation for anybody. He does nothing against Ohio State. He has his lowest grade of the year against Ohio State. It's in the 50s. He has no pressures. And like, I wonder why is that? Well, because he's facing Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. But if we're trying to figure out where could, if Ohio State really does have tackle issues, where will they shy? We talked a little bit about before the season. He wound up being a pretty high draft pick in this past draft wasn't really a huge issue for Ohio State. I don't know that Notre Dame has a guy quite like that. I don't I don't think anybody at Indiana or Western Kentucky or you know and and they're not playing Illinois, they're not playing Iowa, Penn, I mean Ohio State. They're not playing some of these other great defenses in the Big 10. So I think Chop Robinson is maybe the toughest assignment. Now, Penn State has other really good defensive players. Kalen King at corner is going to want to is going to be one of the best cornerbacks in the country, I think. They always have good safeties there. Abdul Carter, really good linebacker. They have good linebackers. But Chop Robinson is the guy to keep your eye on. So could he show up and be a bit of a game wrecker against the Ohio State tackles if that's not settled by the middle of the year? I think maybe. 
right? I think it's it's more about Ohio State necessarily than it is about Chop Robinson, but he's good enough to make Ohio State pay if they're not settled there and good enough to blow up the passing attack, have the quarterback on the run, make them get the ball of the quarterback's hands. So that's why he is number five on my list here. Chop Robinson out of Penn State. PFF has him as the third best edge rusher in the country who's returning for this season. So remember his name. Number four on my list is Phil Longo, the new offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. I don't have Luke Fickle, the new head coach at Wisconsin, on this list because like Luke is going to do his thing. And Luke is really good. I don't like Luke is so Luke is just like a rock. But the last time that Luke played Ohio State, Cincinnati shriveled against Ohio State. I don't I think Luke will learn from that. And he's going to have more good players at Wisconsin. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think Wisconsin's going to be good under Luke Fickle. But right now off the bat, the interesting part is Phil Longo, who is bringing a passing attack to Wisconsin that they haven't maybe ever had. His bio at Wisconsin, they're so excited. They like put these stats together. He comes from North Carolina. So four years where he was running the offense for, for North Carolina under Mac Brown. And those four years, according to the numbers that Wisconsin put together, among the 65 power conference teams, this is where the North Carolina offense ranked. Passing yards, third. Passing touchdowns, fourth. Quarterback passer rating, fourth. Rushing yards, fourth. Total offense, which is total yards, fifth. Scoring, ninth. So they are they are a top three passing offense, a top five offense for yards, and a top 10 offense for scoring at North Carolina. North Carolina doesn't have to be that. There's no reason that North Carolina is that. That's not the program. That's something specific. And that's what Luke Fickle hired. It's not quite the air raid, but he came up in that. They are going to chuck it around. And they have a quarterback in Tanner Mordecai who came from Oklahoma through SMU. Didn't really work out at Oklahoma. Was good at SMU. Now transfers to Wisconsin. Again, we had on the College Football Survivor Show, Colton Bartholomew, who covers Wisconsin on that show to talk about. We did a show on the Survivor Show where we talked about the Big Ten West and the future of the Big Ten West teams. And we did Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. Wisconsin's the only one that's really relevant this year as any kind of playoff contender. So we did talk about Tanner Mordecai. We talked about that offense. And it's a collision. It's the historic offensive line running back run game of Wisconsin now being smushed together with this Phil Longo passing attack with Tanner Mordecai as the guy calling the signals. How's it going to work? Is it going to be a beautiful mishmash of the strengths of both? Or is it going to be discordant? Is it not going to fit? And Colton still could go either way. He said Tanner Mordecai looked good for at times in the spring and then at times did not look good. They don't quite have the receiver talent at Wisconsin to maximize what they want to do throwing the ball. They'll, they'll get there now. They'll recruit to it now. But Mordecai is the real deal. He's a veteran guy. But Longo is bringing something that it's not – it's like Ryan Day. It's Ryan Day at Ohio State. That's what Phil Longo is. That Ohio State's Ohio State, Urban Meyer's like, hey, we got to throw the ball better. He brings in a guy as the offensive coordinator whose job is to throw the ball. What happens? Ohio State's a completely different offense, a completely different passing attack. They recruit differently. They're a completely different program than they ever were. Phil Longo is the Ryan Day of Wisconsin, and it's year one. So 
Ryan Day, 2017 at Ohio State, the last year of JT Barrett, they're getting into it. Is it fully formed, fully fledged? No. But is it better than they threw the ball in 16? Heck yeah, it's better. That's what we're going to see out of Wisconsin. So long-term, greater effect, but it's an immediate change. Be ready for it. And they do have a Tanner Mordecai who, who's going to be able to implement it to some degree. This is, it's probably the death of noodle arms at Wisconsin because they'll recruit to it. They'll get better targets and they'll call a different kind of game that, I mean, if you do have a noodle arm, you're going to get exposed, but I don't think that's not the expectation anymore. Just think about the quarterbacks, the style of quarterbacks that Ohio State recruited and played before Ryan Day and since Ryan Day. Prepare for that with the Badgers. So this is the Madison version of Ryan Day is number four on this list. Phil Longo. And they play this year at Madison. You guys know that. Number three is Sam Hartman, the Notre Dame quarterback out of Wake Forest. Has We did a big breakdown, and, and I gave you the Notre Dame interview on this podcast as well. But on the Survivor Show, we did an Oregon and Notre Dame breakdown. And we com- we had them on the same show because in college football right now, Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback, is has the third most passing yards in his career of any current college quarterback. Sam Hartman at Notre Dame is one. Nobody in college football right now has more career passing yards than Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. So that's what we are dealing with here. This is a super experienced, high-level guy who's old, who chucked it all over the place at Wisconsin. Just like Austin Reed, he's 23 years old. Ohio State in back-to-back weeks, they're going to face 23-year-old quarterbacks in Austin Reed and Sam Hartman. That is a lot of football for both those guys. Last year, Sam Hartman at Wake Forest threw for 3,700 yards. He threw for 38 touchdowns. In 2021, he had 39 touchdown passes. He completed 63% of his passes a year ago. And like he'll stand in and sling it with anybody. They Wake Forest last September lost a double overtime game to Clemson. In that game, Sam Hartman was 20 of 29 for 337 and six touchdowns. So that was against DJ Uyunglele, and it's like DJ's the five-star guy. We know it didn't exactly work out for DJ Clemson, but Sam Hartman went toe-for-toe in that. Sam Hartman last year against Boston College, 25 of 40 for 313 yards and five touchdowns. Last year against Drake May in North Carolina. Drake May is the guy that Phil Longo at North Carolina had as his quarterback. Drake May is going to be a first-round pick next April. That game, Wake Forest lost 36-34. But Sam Hartman was 18 of 31 for 320 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. He'll stand in there and chuck it with anybody. Against Duke, lost 34-31, was 26 of 42, 347, and three touchdowns. He's going to stand in and chuck it against Ohio State. He's not going to be afraid to do it. And Eric Hansen, as we heard on this podcast at Notre Dame, said, like, it's different. Notre Dame's not used to this. This is not what Notre Dame quarterback play has been. Get ready for it. So, can it beat Ohio State? Probably not. Does it give Notre Dame a chance? Yes. Will Sam Hartman in that game be the better quarterback in that moment? Very, very, very possible. Does that mean he'll be a higher NFL draft choice? Will he be better than Kyle McCord or Devin Brown by mid-October, by November, by the playoff? Maybe not. But he's going to be making start, I don't know what, 35 in his career. 
and Kyle McCord or Devin Brown's going to be on start four or five. So be ready for that. This is real. Too often, Ohio State does not play real quarterback. Sam Hartman's a real quarterback. At the very least, he is a real quarterback. He's so real. Nobody in college football has more passing yards than him. Just be ready. There's danger to that. And as we covered with the receivers, he maybe is going to have a few more dangerous guys to throw it to. He's number three. He could be higher. Three is as low as he could be. But I'll tell you, I had the top two spots reserved for Michigan people. And number two, I have the Michigan running backs. That's Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. We did not see them combined against Ohio State last year because Blake Corum got hurt in the Illinois game the week before the Ohio State game. Donovan Edwards is already hurt in that game. Michigan almost loses that game because they don't have either of those guys. Donovan Edwards then for the Ohio State game, his right hand is injured. He winds up carrying the ball in his left hand and he rips off two 80-yard touchdowns against Ohio State in the fourth quarter to put that game away. Blake Corum had a stretch last year where he had eight consecutive 100-yard rushing games. Donovan Edwards was not used a ton early. They got to him late. He saved them late. Saved them when Corum was out. But the game that should we need to note, Michigan ran against Penn State last year, ran for more than 400 yards. They just destroyed Penn State last year. It was a game at halftime. I think it was 16-14 at halftime. And they just steamrolled Penn State in the second half. That's the version of Michigan that should that would be dangerous to Ohio State in 2023. Corum and Edwards combined. I think they might be two of the five best running backs in the country. I think Edwards might actually be a better NFL prospect than Blake Corum, but Blake Corum is a really good college running back. Last year against Penn State, they went combined, 44 carries combined for 60 yards. That's not what Michigan did most of the time. They eased in to Donovan Edwards. When we talked to Aaron McMahon on the College Football Survivor Show, he said Donovan Edwards is sort of saying like, hey, yeah, no, I think it'll be more of a split this year. And he thinks it will be. And that they'll want to keep, especially seeing what happened with Corm last year. It's a little bit freaky, but like they sense. He tried to play against Ohio State last year, carried it twice for six yards early, and they just couldn't go. But early, through their terrible, terrible, terrible non-conference schedule, didn't matter. Starting with Big Ten play against Maryland, these were Blake Corum's numbers. 30 for 243. That's 30 carries against Maryland in a game that Maryland gave everything Michigan could handle. 30 for 243. 29 for 133 against Iowa. 25 for 124 against Indiana. 28 for 166 against Penn State. 33 for 177 against Michigan State. 20 for 109 against Rutgers. 28 for 162 against Nebraska. That is an unbelievable load. That is 30-29, 25-28, 33-20-28. And then guess what? He carries 18 times the next game and gets hurt. So Michigan has to avoid that. How can you avoid it? Well, your backup running backs, one of the five or 10 best running backs in the country also. So I do think they'll share the load more with Edwards and Corum. Aaron said maybe they'll play them together. I'm always skeptical. Everybody wants teams to play their best running backs together. You know, you turn one into a blocker when he's on the field. It's like you'd rather... Just keep them both fresh, rotate a little bit. But I do think the idea of both Corum and Edwards having 20 carries against Ohio State is absolutely on the table. Like, that's your offense. That's why J.J. McCarthy is lower on this list for me. Maybe it's a referendum on J.J. McCarthy this year. Also, 
Michigan's going to start two or three transfers on the offensive line. They have two really good guards back. Their offensive line is going to be good again. Their offensive coordinator is an offensive line coach, and he's going to be called all the plays now. They're going to run it like crazy. So McCarthy might be the over-the-top guy, but there's a version of Michigan that doesn't have to throw it great to beat Ohio State. Not if Corum and Edwards are going 45 carries for 350 yards. And they have the ability to do that if the Ohio State defense isn't up to the task. So that that run game is still Michigan's bread and butter. Yes, they should be able to throw it better. Yes, their defense is good. Their path to victory against Ohio State is on the backs of those two guys. That's why they're number two. And number one is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is a good football coach. Jim Harbaugh has gone from like the crazy guy to a guy who just now wins football games. And I do think Michigan is in the Jim Harbaugh sweet spot. Cause I can remember when he left the San Francisco 49ers, a lot of this was from funny. It was from Alex Boone who played for Harbaugh at, at in San Francisco, the former Ohio state offensive tackle was a really good player in San Francisco for a while. The 49ers, Jim Harbaugh's, only the head coach there for four years. He goes 13 and three, 11 and four and one, 11, four and one, 12 and four, eight and eight. Second year with Jim Harbaugh, they lose in the Super Bowl. But he's awesome at, from the jump and then goes eight and eight in year four. And it was sort of like the idea of at some point, Jim Harbaugh, like it runs its course a little bit because he, he coaches you a certain way. So, Jim Harbaugh was 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5, 10 and 3, 9 and 4 at Michigan. That's his first five years at Michigan. He's very, very good, but he can't beat Ohio State. He can't win bowl games. He's 0 and 5 against Ohio State in his first five years. He's 1 and 4 in bowl games. They're losing to Michigan State. They can't beat anybody that matters, but they're winning all their other games. It feels like maybe there's a shelf life to this. Because he has not lasted long at places. Look at his career. Three years at San Diego. Four years at Stanford. Four years with the San Francisco 49ers. Then five years at Michigan. He's 0-5. And, and after five years, he, he hasn't beaten Ohio State. He's 1-4 in bowl games. He hasn't beaten anybody that matters. And it feels like, okay, maybe this is about to run its course as the 2019 season ends, right? It's 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and maybe it's about to end for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Then COVID happens. They get a reset. He changes his staff. And now we are in era two of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. But each of the first two seasons in era two were met with NFL dalliances in the offseason. The thing about college is you can't the players can't get sick of you because they leave, okay? Everybody else can get sick of you, and you can get sick of them. Your AD, your president, your board of trustees, your assistant coaches, the fans, all of that, you can grow tired of each other. So this is how I'm thinking of Jim Harbaugh. Three years, San Diego. Four years, Stanford. Four years, 49ers. Five years in era one at Michigan, then a reset year, which doesn't count. He is now in year three of era two. And it is, I think maybe as good as it is going to get. And I do think 
by the time we get to year five of era two, which would be in 2025, I wonder. I wonder because it won't be like, hey, you're not winning, but it might be like you're winning, but like we're all sick of each other. And the NFL may be calling. And there's just enough fire to all the NFL smoke that Jim Harbaugh has talked to people. It's clearly he has. He almost left after the 2021 season. If Minnesota, the Minnesota Vikings would have offered him the job, he would have left. He has another little dance this offseason. I think we might be at peak Jim Harbaugh because we are in year three of era two. And he doesn't get to year five a lot. He got to year five in era one because I think in part because he was still proving himself. He hadn't yet reached the mountaintop. He's there now. At, at San Diego, he did everything he could do. At Stanford, he did everything he could do. With the 49ers, he did basically everything he could do. He made a Super Bowl, didn't win it, but they were awesome. Now, Michigan era one, like, why did that keep going? Well, because he didn't do everything he could do. Is he going to leave Michigan 0 and 5? No, he, did, he didn't want to leave Michigan 0 and 5 against Ohio State. So now he stayed. Now he's in year two. Now he's winning. Now, a, Mich- a national title, great. But that's not really what Michigan football has ever been about. The goal is not really a national title at Michigan. It is a little bit different. The goal is to compete at the highest level and feel good about being a Michigan man and a Michigan woman. You're a proud Michigan fan. And I think at Michigan, Bo set the template. It doesn't require a national championship. It requires competing with and beating Ohio State a decent amount of the time. But it is they do not have to take their show on the road the same way Ohio State does. So this might be the peak. Will Jim Harbaugh, and this, like this right now, 2023 Michigan, might be the best version of Michigan and Jim Harbaugh we'll ever see. And Ohio State has to beat it. So that's why Jim Harbaugh is number one on the most dangerous opponents. Is Jim Harbaugh going to be beating Ohio State in 2028? My guess would be no, because I don't think he lasts that long. Because I think it's more likely, as it turns out, I think it was less likely that he would leave while he wasn't doing it. Once you've done it, I think it's more likely he leaves now. So that's why I have him number one. He has established something. He establishes something where he wins. And then that thing wins, but then it also grates on you a little bit. I think he grates on people, people grate on him. So I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's rolling right now. And I just don't think we have to spend a lot of time convincing you guys that Michigan's good. I think you know it. So my list of the 10 most dangerous Ohio State opponents for the 2023 season. Number one, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh. Number two, the Michigan running backs, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Number three, Notre Dame quarterback Sam Hartman. Number four, Wisconsin offensive coordinator Phil Longo. Number five, Penn State defensive end Chop Robinson. Number six, Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy. Number seven, the young Notre Dame receivers, none of whom were targeted even once against Ohio State last year. It's three two-second-year guys and a third-year guy, and then three true freshmen. That's who's going to be catching passes against Ohio State in week four. Number eight is Jesse Minter, the Michigan defensive coordinator. Number nine is Penn State quarterback Drew Aller. And I'll just rope in a little bit. I did talk about Olu Fashanu, who is maybe going to be the best left tackle in college football this year for Penn State. Like, that's a real thing. There are parts of this, like, Penn State offense that are regal, that are real. Nick Singleton at running back is real, right? There's, they have a couple guys here. 
So I, I want to give Fashanu a nod. He's really good, but it's really about Drew Aller as the signal caller. What's he going to get done? Penn State quarterback Drew Aller is number nine for me. And number 10, Western Kentucky quarterback Austin Reed and his receiver uh, Malachi Corley, who, again, Malachi Corley is like the is maybe the best group of five receiver in the country. And Austin Reed might be the best group of five. So that's non-power five, right? There's 69 power, con- power five conference teams now with the addition of Central Florida, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati to the Big 12. We're at 69 now. Like outside of them, Austin Reed and Malachi Corley, I think are as good as it gets. And they're playing Ohio State in week three. Okay. We appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. We got some stuff planned. Might have a Buckeye Retalkables planned sooner than later for the first time in, in almost a year. We haven't done one since last June. I have a suggestion for Retalkables that I sent out to Stephen and Nathan. And there is a big picture question that we want to ask about Ohio State related to that. I also think we'll get to a rapid fire this week for you guys. Um, but for now, we really appreciate you making Buckeye Talk part of your week. Sorry this got up a little later than planned on Monday, but sometimes that that should be a saying. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's like the upside of that. It's like when you ask for a Diet Coke and life gives you lemonade. It's like, oh my God. So that's what I'm dealing with. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was... Buckeye Talk. <laughs>